Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and today I am not joined by Will Murden. I get to in- introduce a very special guest. Uh, Will is currently probably in a body bag as we speak. He has just <laughs> won his uh, grand final. Uh, so he will be an absolute mess at the moment. Uh, in his place, I get to welcome uh, a born and bred native Alabama or former Alabama has moved to Australia uh, and I get to welcome Drew Aiken. Welcome, mate. Hey, what's going on, Aaron? Thanks for having me, man. That's some banging music opening up your show. <laughs> well, hey, I know you're, you've got that musician background as well, so I thought I'd, uh, I'd get you going there. Um, firstly, before we jump into today's action, because obviously you are extremely well-versed in college football in America, especially growing up in kind of the heartland of college football in from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, tell us a bit about your story. I know you played college ball over there and, and a little bit about your experience and what you went through as a player, coach, spectator, um, passionate supporter of the Crimson Tide. Yeah, so I was born and raised uh, in Alabama. Um, went to the uh, Van Tiffen kick against Auburn in the 80s. That was my first game that I ever went to. So if you Google... Iron Bowl, Van Tiffin, T-I-F-F-I-N. You'll see uh, one of the most um, historic games ever played in Alabama. I got to go to that game. Uh, that was the first football game I ever attended as a young person. I think I may have been eight, nine, something like that. And I started crying because I just didn't understand what was happening. People were, <laughs> losing their, people were losing their minds around me after this guy kicked a field goal to win what what uh, turns out to be one of the, the, the biggest rivalries in college football or in sports in general. Um, so I played uh, football from the age of uh, maybe 12 um, up until I was in my, uh, you know, late teens, early 20s, uh, until I moved to Australia. And I played again a little bit just, you know, in an amateur level. But um, I played at uh, Gardendale High School in the junior high level and then uh, really was focusing more on music and then got back into it. When I went to Stanford University, I walked on there and earned a scholarship, played with Bart Yancey, who is the uh, leading passer, record holder, um, uh, even with Devlin Hodges, who just came out and is at the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I played at uh, Stanford University in Birmingham, Alabama. We played against uh, teams like um, Alcorn State when Steve McNair was there. Yeah. And we played against Dante Culpepper when he was at UCF. Uh, we played against some pretty good teams that really, well, they just paid us money to come there to beat us up. But, um, I, I, I was not a guy who was good enough to play at the University of Alabama. As you know, Alabama is uh, almost always one of the best teams in the world. And uh, I'm not the best football player in the world, but I certainly do love the sport. Um, and like most people who you would see in a Walmart, they all know about reading read defenses and cover twos and <laughs> and, and how, how to how to beat a spread offense and things like that. I mean, my mother probably knows as much about football as I do. So I was born and raised in barbecue and football, and um, it still is something that I love to this day. So, so how um, have I'm you happy found, to talk to you. How have you found the – like when you talk to people here in Australia, like we follow footy, and I know you're now a passionate – Adelaide Crows supporter, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not quite done the same. It's just, it's just not. Uh, you know, the the passion and the pageantry and the the diehard fandom to the point, like you said, your average Joe Blow knows kind of more about college football than just about any Australian could possibly imagine. How did you find the transition moving over here? Where yes, we're passionate about sport, but it's just on another level over there. Yeah, I, I think it's safe to say that uh, football, American football, is baked into the bread of the people that are born in the South. And um, one of the things that you do when you meet a person that you've never met before is you ask them who they go for, and that usually uh, ends up determining whether or not you guys are going to be friends. Um, <laughs> and uh, over here, I do I do see uh, a lot of allegiances to, to football, but uh, over there, it really will dictate how your week goes if your team wins or loses especially uh, depending on who you're playing um, a lot of people who I know that would be going to Alabama football games say like this coming up well not with COVID but in a regular normal non-crazy mm. world that we're in now people would go to Tuscaloosa on a Thursday 
set up camp with their tents or with their RVs or their camper vans or whatever, and they would set up and they would get their spot, and they would have a good night of drinking, meeting a lot of people. Friday would be all-day barbecue, uh, throwing the football around in the parking lot. And this is all right outside the stadium. So you can imagine if we turned up to Adelaide Oval on a Thursday or Friday, par- parked our ute out back, turned on the Barbie, started kicking the footy or throwing it around, and had our you know, flat screen on the side of the, the van and were watching other football games while we're getting ready for our football game to start. It's something that's just kind of religious about um, American football, especially in the South. Uh, and Alabama is certainly a, a great um, example of that. Um, it is the pageantry, the marching bands, the, uh, the, the, the pep rallies, the, the pregame radio show, the ESPN college game day with thousands of people. I mean, there's just so much grandiose pomp and circumstance that goes into to, to even before the game has started. And then, let, you know, and then that's just leading up to the reason why you're there, which is fantastic football, which has been going on for a very long time in the state of Alabama. Okay, so we will get to a whole bunch more about this because, you know, I love hearing about your stories and your experience because whilst we went over there as a, a tourist, I suppose, and, and we got to experience it and be in Tuscaloosa and wander around and be involved in, in a weekend, it's not the same as being born and bred and, and living it. Um, we It was all very much like a, a giant... Uh, you know, fun fair for us and felt like everything was a bit of a sideshow. And I think in lots of ways, we were sideshows for other people that were born and bred. Yeah, I, I must say, I must say for people who haven't been to the South, if you ever go to America, you'd be remiss if you just went to New York or the West or Texas. People in the South, uh, which we don't really necessarily include Texas in the South, and Texans will say the same, they don't really consider themselves Southerners. Yeah. People in the South love Australians. So yeah. Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky, all of those states, if you have an Australian accent, you will be well looked after. So go to the South if you go to the U.S. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Anyway, we do have a lot of to get to tonight as well in terms of games and action that did occur in the early hours of today and into the morning as well. So we've got some news we've got to get to. We've got to get to our CF uh, College Football uh, 360 as well. Uh, we'll get through all the game recaps. and uh, So we're not going to you know, wait too much longer here because we've got Aussies in action as well. And then I get to spend a little bit more time talking with Drew about Alabama football, the SEC, which kicks off in a week. And I've got no doubt that you know, being five days away, there are families and people down in the south that are just about, you know, ripping the wallpaper off waiting for, for this season to kick off because it is finally here for the SEC as well. All right, let's jump in. Let's. This one's going to be fast and furious here on the College Football 360. All right. So the COVID rules have taken over as five games were either postponed or cancelled this week, and that includes the Baylor and Houston game, which was set to be a really, really big game this week, Um, and a ranked matchup between BYU and Army got cancelled as well. The Big 12 do Big 12 things as Oklahoma State struggle, but Drew, I'll ask for your expert opinion here. Is the Big 12 overrated as a conference? We constantly see them put up big points, but struggle in big matches is this just reconfirming that the big 12 is not around the mark again this year being an sec guy i think that it is easy to say that we believe that that conference has no defense that's the reason why you see that those teams oklahoma state iowa state oklahoma all those all those guys they score 50 60 points in a game and then when it comes around to the bowl season and they have to go up against a real team everything just shuts down because you can't you can throw the ball around a lot, but once the defense takes away the one thing that you can do and you can't run the ball, then it's all over for that conference. And that's the reason why you see the SEC completely dominate them for the most part, not always, for the most part in bowl games. Um, I'm not sure why they don't like to play defense. I mean, for most people who don't watch or don't really absorb football on the level that you and I would say or your listeners probably do, people like to see a lot of touchdowns, right? So. Mm. In the SEC, we don't necessarily like that. We like to see a low 
seven to three, three to three, <laughs> you know, 14. We don't, we don't want a lot of touchdowns because if people are scoring a lot of touchdowns, that means there's something wrong with your defense and defense wins championships. Everybody knows that it. it's a bit of a cliche, but it is a true thing. So I, I do enjoy watching them play each other. Um, but when it comes bowl time, you, you always got to bet on the SEC beating those guys. Yeah, and, and that's sort of been the story. And there was a lot of SEC bias in there, which Will's not going to like. But, hey, you get to fire as many shots as you want because he's yeah. not here to, to talk right. back Will's to you. Will's not so, here. Yeah, go your hardest. Uh, <laughs> other news, I mean, there isn't a whole lot. It's a pretty flat week in college football, to be honest. But the ACC had some entertaining games with NC State beating Wake in a close one. And Miami showing something to a national audience for the first time, hell, since, what, 2001? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, my, my, Miami's new look offense was was mighty impressive. A uh, 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 forty-seven thirty-four road win over Louisville. Who Louisville's? You know they they're they're no spring chickens. Yeah. Um, but with yeah. that with that Houston transfer, they got Derek King leading the way. The Hurricanes put up almost like five hundred yards of offense, including uh, a couple of seventy-five yard touchdown plays in the third quarter. Miami's been plagued by poor quarterback play for a long time. I've got some friends down in Miami, and they swear that this is the year. They've got a new they got a new turnover chain. Miami yeah. looks really good. Yeah. They're they're actually uh, there were five top fifteen teams in action during this week. So um, you know Clemson, Notre Dame, Cincinnati. Uh, they like all of those teams had a combined win total of one hundred fifty six to twenty. So it wasn't necessarily like a you know late in the season kind of week to watch football. But we're just glad to have football back, aren't we? Yeah, oh, for sure. And again, no doubt more than people in the SEC because you guys are less than a week away now, which is good. Um, we do need to get to some other news as well. I mean, that is pretty much if if you haven't been kind of catching up with college football, you know it all now. So let's move on to a quick bit of news. Mike Norvell tests positive for COVID, which means he won't be coaching against Miami next week for Florida State. Chris Thompson will take over there. What kind of impact does it have losing a head coach? I mean, are college football team set up to kind of absorb and, and, and manage this kind of chaos, especially in a year like this? Or is it something that's actually really, really difficult to manage in terms of the playing group and preparation and things like that? Well, um, the ACC had a report that said that uh, anybody who tests positive is required to isolate for 10 days. Um, and he's, Coach, Coach Norbert said that he did everything right. Um, He's the first coach uh, to test positive, and um, you know he's going to miss a game because of this positive test. So uh, he said he was really surprised about it, and he, him and his uh, family are all going to isolate. And I mean, this COVID thing is, you know, I, I don't want to get political, but it's just been completely run rampant in the United States, and um, everybody's doing everything they can. The NFL, I think, feel like has done a pretty good job at it, but. Because of people on campus, like uh, Alabama, when they returned to campus, the first week that they returned to campus, all the students, they had 500 cases, brand new cases pop yeah. up. So um, you can do everything in your power to not get it and just get it, you know? I mean, yeah. it's just one of these things that it's, it's unfortunate, but, um, but the coaches are all right. They're, they're going through with the protocols in, in Florida State. And the coach is isolated. The university is tracing the staff and they're, they're like triple testing everybody daily so um you know it is what it is we just have to deal with it this is the, this is the world we live in now yeah for sure all right and the other bit of big news which i think is pretty exciting in in some ways i'm a little bit conflicted on the big 10 returning and the way in which they're doing that but their schedule has been released and they appear to be staying pretty much within their divisions within the conference um, but your first takes away, your initial thoughts on the Big Ten schedule, Drew. So Scott Frost, the guy who uh, won the Asterix UCF championship, got his job. <laughs> he, he used to be he used to be the quarterback at Nebraska a long time ago, and he was a really good quarterback, and he's actually a pretty good head coach. So he's back at Nebraska as the head coach, and he's been chomping at the bit about getting back and wanting to play. Um, and then the season schedule comes out and he plays at Ohio State first game who Ohio State is obviously the favorite to win the conference and then the next week he's got to come back home and play Wisconsin who's going to be probably playing Ohio State in the championship for their conference so Scott Frost was dealt a very uh, uh, bad hand um, per se um, when the schedule came out and it's most likely that those first two losses are pretty much going to do them in so um, Ohio State and Wisconsin are probably going to be the two people I think that'll be battling for 
um, supremacy in the co- in that conference. Is that something you think that the the schedule makers and the Big Twelve as a conference do? Like, I mean, I sort of had this um, conspiracy, I suppose, more than anything, that in the ACC when Notre Dame joined and the way the schedules make the schedule makers created it was that they really just want a Clemson uh, Notre Dame. ACC championship game so that they scheduled that as best they could to predict that. Now, I know the games have still got to be played, but is that something that actually happens, do you think? Or is it just kind of, they're not exactly drawing names out of a hat here, but is it luck? Is it more strategic than that by the schedule makers? I I dare say that it is probably a, uh, a more sophisticated drawing names out of a hat. There is a, uh, an algorithm that they put in for, um, uh, uh, win percentage, uh, TV viewing, um, attendance is not a factor this year. I'm not sure. See, you know, with COVID being brought into the um, brought into the equation, I'm not really sure how they go about making the schedule this year. All I know is that Nebraska totally <laughs> got dumped on <laughs> for their schedule, having to play probably the two best teams in the conference in the first two weeks of their of their schedule. And they were only playing eight games, so. Yeah, uh, you know that's that's a quarter of it right there out the window. So say an, another hypothetical for you, because again we live in this world of hypotheticals. Well, throughout the entirety of a normal college football season, let alone a season like this one. But let's say that the Big Ten, obviously, there's some concerns. Eight games back to back, and the likelihood of getting through all of those under the current circumstances appears slight at best. How many games do Ohio State need, and do they need to be big blowout, pretty wins for them to be considered in the college football playoff? Do they need six? Do they need seven? And and who do they need to come against for them to usurp, say, a a one loss or two loss Georgia team or a one or yeah. two loss Florida? Well, if you have a look at Ohio State's schedule, they've got Nebraska, Penn State. Um, uh, I see them probably winning both of those. Uh, mm-hmm. Then they got Rutgers, uh, and then nobody until Michigan State, Michigan. So that uh, the last two games probably will be the most important for them, but they will certainly uh, use those first six as a tune-up to make their case. I would assume they'll try to run the score up on everybody. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'm not really even sure how they're going to be doing the bowl matchups this year, but uh, if you want to you know, put your easy money on somebody to come out of the West uh, in uh, the Big Ten, it's going to be Ohio State. And for me, for the East, it's going to be Wisconsin. Uh, Obviously, I haven't seen a lot of these uh, warm-up matches, but uh, their roster would tell you that those two teams are probably going to be coming out of the Big Ten in bowl games. And Ohio State's always been up there, you know. So that's that's who I'm tipping my hat to. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, some really good insight there. So thank you for that. Far more intelligent and well articulated than I could ever possibly hope to be and certainly far more coherent than Will ever is and especially right now. So that's great. We are <laughs> Congratulations to Will, by the way. That guy just keeps winning medals. He's, he's a good athlete, that kid. Yeah, he's not a kid anymore, dude. That dude is old, old yeah, he and is. past he's it. Not, he's not as old as me, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it is time to get into some game recaps. So we are going to start with the aforementioned Miami and Louisville. Oh, they sneak him out open, and it's the rooster loose, and they're not going to catch him. Touchdown, Miami. Two plays, two touchdowns in the third quarter. And a full-on shootout. That was freshman Jalen Knighton scoring on a 75-yard touchdown reception to put Miami ahead. Uh, Jose Borgales then knocked through two field goals after this to put the Canes ahead 20-40, to 40, giving themselves a 20-point lead. Obviously, I can do maths. Um, and that was too much for Louisville to overcome at the end, and they did beat a ranked opponent on the road 47-34. to 34. The Canes got out the blocks really, really well against the Cardinals. Drew... Are Miami a legitimate team this year with De'Eric King and this stable of running backs and Rhett Lashley at the helm making play calls? Yeah, you know, uh, I've, I've been wanting to give Miami the benefit of the doubt for a long time, but with this guy um, arriving from Houston, he's one of the most productive college football players in the country. I mean, uh, when he was at Houston, he threw for almost 5,000 yards, 50 touchdowns, and only 10 interceptions. 
And then he rushed for like 1,500 yards and 28 touchdowns. So he's one of those guys nowadays that you need to, he needs to be able to sling the rock, which he certainly can do. And he's an efficient quarterback. So Miami has always had all of the other things. They've had a, they've had a pretty good offensive line. They never had a great defense. They've got some good running backs. And now they've got the quarterback that they've been wanting for, say, probably the past five or six years, which should get them, you know, back into the game. But we know who they have to get past to get to the big dance. So. Um, I'm I'm not I'm, I'm not putting any money on them to be getting out of that. Yeah, I mean Clemson uh, just continue to go from strength to strength, and they haven't played anyone yet this year. But when you hold the number one uh, well player in the country potentially in Trevor Lawrence, you got probably the number one running back in the country in Travis Etienne, and you've got probably the best defensive coordinator in Brent Venables as well. No doubt. Speaking of SEC defenses, some SEC schools have thrown some cash at him over his journey to try and lure him down south somewhere. Uh, Some other notes in the game. The defense was pretty good early for Miami, but then sort of fell in a bit of a hole uh, later in the game. As as it did get away and as bodies started to get tired, they started to open it up on defense. And in the end, they're actually outgained by Louisville. Uh, Javion Hawkins and Mikhail Cunningham both were pretty handy again with 100 yards on the ground for Hawkins and 300 through the air for Cunningham, but they did turn the ball over three times, which is always going to be really, really difficult to overcome. I don't really know where this leaves both teams. Uh, I think that Miami are probably okay. I think Louisville are probably also yeah. okay, but they're a, they're a step back, I think, from top legitimate top yeah. ten teams. Yeah, well, uh, looking ahead with Miami, I mean, they've got Florida State next week, who obviously we just spoke about their head coach is going to be out for. Uh, so I, I reckon Miami's going to pretty, pretty much cruise next week as well. But after that, you know who they got to play, Clemson. So, yeah. Um, it's going to be tough. My, Miami's, Miami's certainly going to win next week, but they're not. They're, there's no way they're beating Clemson. <laughs> there's no way they're beating Clemson. I mean, there's no pressure on. They're playing in Death Valley, so I think it'll be probably one of the games that I go into not freaking out that we're definitely going to lose um, and feeling bad about it, we're just going to lose, and I'll feel okay about it. So, are you uh, are you a Miami are you a Miami guy? Yeah, definitely. Oh, definitely. Apologize, I wouldn't have hammered him so hard. No, nah, it's, it's okay. No, we'll get to Oklahoma. Be, it will be it will be fun to watch Derek King uh, against Clemson's defense, and that's pretty much going to be his or resume leading into getting drafted. So it'll be that'll be fun to watch in a couple of weeks. Yeah, no, nah, not everyone's a bandwagon jumper here, mate. Some of us just uh, <laughs> s- settle on into some teams and really hope they come good, like I'm a Tampa Bay Bucks fan. And I know it's easy to be on the New England Patriots. I could have just picked them, but I didn't want to. I was like, you know what, Tom Brady, I'm, I'm off him. And uh, having said that, he's now hooked across to Tampa. Yeah. And yeah, I must say congratulations on having a great offense. You already had a good defense so for the last years. Good for them. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll, we'll see. That didn't go so well against the Saints last week. Nothing like that. Yeah, well, it is the Saints. The Saints should have been in the Super Bowl the past couple of seasons, in my opinion, anyway. So. Yeah, true. And, and, I mean, if we wanted a quarterback that throws a pick six to cost us the game, we had one of them last year, so... <laughs> Anyway, let's continue to keep in uh, the vein of college football. So we're going to BC and Duke. Kovic got away from a man. Back to the end zone. The leaping grab. Hunter Long has the touchdown for Boston College. Yeah, that was Hunter Long uh, making a touchdown catch from Phil Jakovic, the Notre Dame transfer. And that put the Eagles up 17-6. to They would extend that to 26-6 before the game was done. But it was pretty much tight the whole way. Zay Flowers had a great game for BC. He put up five catches, 162 yards and a touchdown. A lot of that came on one play. BC struggled to get anything meaningful going on the ground against the Duke front seven. And and they continue to to do a really good job despite being undersized. They only conceded two yards a carry and had six sacks as well. So a really good job for the first uh, two levels of that Duke defense. Um, but BC did enough when it mattered and it was closer than the scoreline suggests that probably the big issue, or not probably, definitely the big issue was five Duke turnovers, yeah, two interceptions, right. three fumbles, four of them in the red zone. That's game over right there. I just You can't recover from that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was a pretty good debut for Jeff Hathley at uh, Boston College. Um, I'd say it's a really strong one. He he was an assistant coach at Ohio State, as you probably know. Uh, but a 26-6 road win against Duke, who's uh, head coach David Cockcliffe. He's a Hall of Fame um, coach. That yeah. was 
pretty good for them. The Eagles put up 384 yards in offense. Um, and uh, Phil Jerkovich, the quarterback transfer uh, from Boston College, he completed like 17 or 23 passes for 300 yards and two touchdowns. Um, and his favorite targets were like Zay Flowers and their tight end Hunter Long. But Flowers had five catches for 162 yards and a 61-yard touchdown. Um we're not going to get carried away uh, after one game, especially considering Duke's two fumbles inside the BC 10-yard line. Yeah. It was hard not to be impressed with Boston College's performance in, in uh, Jeff Hafley's first game as a head coach there. So good, good, you always want that as, a, as a, a new head coach, especially coming from Ohio State where everybody's expecting him to get the win. Yeah, absolutely. And and we see that with, I mean, all the ex-Alabama coaches, actually, which is pretty much most of the SEC now, whether it's Georgia or Tennessee or whoever. And, and it is nice for coaches to get out the blocks well, but never easy because you are uh, carrying with you a certain reputation of success and, and instant gratification by the support uh, or the, the supporters of that new particular ball club. So good for BC. I mean, it wasn't anything to write home about. It's again another mediocre ACC game. So we're going to keep rolling because Drew's history and life and discussions of the SEC are going to be far more entertaining than Georgia Tech, UCF, but we'll have a bit of a chat about them now anyway. Second and goal. Looking for the quick throw to the corner, and he's got it. So Williams put him in position and then gets the payoff. Yeah, that was uh, UCF really kind of putting icing on a cake as they really dominate uh, Georgia Tech pretty comfortably in the end and, and manage them on the on the arm of Dylan Gabriel, who threw for over 400 yards, four touchdowns. The Knights dominated on third down uh, despite Georgia Tech's kind of plucky start and, and their ability to close within a touchdown in the uh, third quarter but they just didn't have enough offensively despite the promise of a young Jeff Sims at quarterback. I don't know how much you saw of this game, Drew, but what are your thoughts on him as a prospect? Oh, you know, um, I guess it's probably too early to say how I, how I feel like he's going to be with a prospect, but um, UCF, they come, they were coming off some uh, disappointing season last year. They lost three games all on the road by a total of seven points. I mean, they, they're, they're a good team, and there's a reason why they are Asterix, uh, one of the national champions from, from a couple of years ago. But after falling behind 28-7, Georgia Tech closed within a touchdown early in the fourth quarter. Um, Gabriel led a dominating performance the rest of the way. Uh, like, as you said, 365 yards is pretty good. 27-41 of 41 is a pretty good percentage um, completion as well. So uh, they just had a lot of guys making plays all over the field. And when that happens, you're going to see a lot of points scored from, um, you know, UCF is – UCF ain't, ain't nothing to mess with, as they say in Wu Tang Clan. They're right. They're right. They're right. 14th in the country, so you know. Yeah. Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's unranked, and um, I think they're they're still running that wishbone wing T thing that nobody likes. So well, they're, they're trying to get out of it. They're trying to get out of it. So it's it's a long process, obviously, to switch schemes like that. It becomes really really difficult. What are your thoughts on a, a group of five team making a playoff? I mean, UCF look really really good today uh against you know not a great georgia tech team admittedly but do they have a legitimate play at a at a playoff or is this just another season of you know being good ranked inside the top 10 yeah. but you know it's really lip service rather than well, being considered with the big boys it's one of those um uh, un unfortunate circumstances where they're in a conference that's not going to help them out i mean they're playing uh ECU, yeah. uh, we, 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 we used to play ECU at Sanford, like, all the time. So, you know, they're playing Tulsa, they're playing Memphis, they're playing Tulane, they're playing Houston, all these teams that are in their conference. But nobody gives those teams any cred. So yeah. they, need to beat, they need to beat some teams in the top ten to get into, um, uh, you know, bowl or championship contention, and they're not playing any of those teams. So mm. this, this season's probably out the window for that, unless they're beating guys by 70, 80 points. Yeah, and I can't imagine too many Power 5 teams are going to be really willing to put UCF on the schedule because you've really got nothing to gain by playing them apart from potentially an embarrassing loss. Agreed, yep. Uh, that's been one of UCF's problems for uh, uh, the past few years is when the schedules come out, there's nobody that really wants to play them. Um, and 
and when they go on the road, uh, as they did the last year, they lost three games on the road, yeah. you know, by like less than seven points. So you got to win those games, and uh, then then maybe you can demand those big matchups. But yeah. Alabama ain't playing UCF anytime soon. No hell, I don't want Miami to play them because they'll just get embarrassed. So I don't want any part of that at all. Um, the last game that I found quite entertaining actually, and if you know anything about Marshall and App State, I'll be real impressed here, Drew. But this one, I thought it would be close, but it was low scoring. Uh, if you told me Grant Wells would go 11 for 25 with an interception, I would say that Marshall definitely lost that game, but they didn't. They held App State to their lowest score for a long, long time, uh, and they made enough key plays. The big play, which I'll play for you in just a second, was a couple of back-to-back possessions. The first, the Mountaineers go play action on fourth and short. They get tight, and Mike Evans wide open up the seam. He gets to the two-yard line, and the old peanut Tillman double punch tackle knocks the ball loose. Marshall recover in the end zone, but you get to listen to the call now. Yeah, that was unbelievable because they were about to drive. They got about down to the two-yard line. They were about to go in, uh, and that would have made the game, what, 14-17 with time remaining. And then they go and miss a chip shot field goal as well. So only 96 yards rushing for the Mountaineers who uh, are a real threat on the ground, but not so much today. So well done to Marshall. Do you have any deep discerning thoughts on App State Marshall? Oh, well, I mean, you, you you must you must say that it was a pretty big upset. So um, that play, though, if you play football, if any of you guys play football, when you're running down the field and there's nobody in front of you, that means everybody's behind you, right? So <laughs> put that ball up on your sternum, tuck your elbow in, and put your chin, put your fist up under your chin and hold that ball there. And the second that you suspect pressure, you cross over the top of the other arm with that arm and you double up. That is the, the most horrible thing that happened in there i mean it would have been a totally different ball game if they had scored at that point yeah but, um, you know both teams eclipsed 500 yards in their opening win but this game took on a really bad defensive look over the final three quarters yeah yeah for sure it was it was messy and that was a devastating uh, experience for mike evans who i think just about broke down in tears on the field uh, but dude get that high and tight i mean you're tight <laughs> yeah, end. you're gonna get run down yeah. Yeah, punch yourself, in, punch yourself in the chin with your fist. Get the ball, tuck it in your sternum, and punch yourself as you're running. You know he's, that that way nobody can punch it up under you. Well, he's probably got some death threats coming his way at the moment. So um, I don't know who's in worse shape: the tight end from App State or Will Murden, one of the two. <laughs> um, all right, uh, Pitt. 21 beats Syracuse 10. Pitt's defense is legit. They only allow 171 yards to the Orange, uh, but 69 of that came on one play. Uh, uh, the offense again for Pitt and Kenny Pickett is still struggling. 17, no, sorry, seven penalties, three missed field goals. Their D is really, really good, and they're going to be a, a tough out for anyone week to week. Uh, but their offense needs some work, and and they are really disappointing. Um, any thoughts on the Pitt Panthers as a potential ACC dark horse? Uh, no, but <laughs> they're, they're ranked 25th. So, I mean, they are ranked. Um, they have plenty to work on following that really sloppy 21-10 uh, to win over Syracuse. Um, a, a week removed from a, a romp against uh, Austin P from Texas. Um, it looked like they were going to be okay, but it, it was a lot uglier than you'd want it to be, especially for um, uh, Pat Narduzzi, the coach of Pitt. Um, he's certainly going to want to tighten that team up and I'm sure he will do just that Oklahoma State so here's our chance to fire as many shots as you want Uh, Oklahoma State survived Tulsa 16-7 Shamari Brooks for the Golden Hurricane did his ACL during the week which is really really disappointing Um, the Oklahoma State offense really struggled they used three quarterbacks went run heavy and struggled to do that. Tylen Wallace was kept mostly pretty quiet for the day. Spencer Sanders did his ankle. Tuba Hubbard was held to 3.4 yards a carry on 27 totes of the rock. And the Pokes ran the ball 50 times, which goes against what they do normally. 
Um, the, the big news probably that I really want to harp on about is the two Aussies had big games. Tom Hutton had five punts. Alex Hale slotted all three of his field goal tries. So a bit of an embarrassment again for the big 12. Um, Will's an embarrassment as a human. And now I will let you pull the trigger as hard as you want on the big 12 or Oklahoma State, Drew. Well, I, I will hate to hear this, but Oklahoma State's running back Chuba Hubbard. C-H-U-B-A, Chuba. Great name. Chuba. <laughs> Chuba Hubbard's Heisman candidacy is, is over before it even began. Ooh, I mean, wow. this, this was this was his chance to come out and, and put his name in with Trevor Lawrence for their Heisman hopeful. Uh, but, I mean, it was against Tulsa, and he just put up a big <laughs> goose egg. So um, I, I don't like Oklahoma State. I don't like Mike Gundy. I don't like uh, – I don't really like much that has to do with Oklahoma. Just fly over Oklahoma if you have the chance to do so. Uh, the best thing that ever came out of Oklahoma was uh, Barry Sanders. And uh, other than that, uh, there's no reason to go there. So uh, <laughs> failing to rush for more than 100 yards for somebody who's supposed to be up in the Heisman uh, ranks is really embarrassing. I mean, he, he gained um, – <laughs> I mean, you know, he gained nothing by this game. So, oh, this uh, is good gear. O- Oklahoma State's one of those teams, that, as we were talking about earlier, is supposed to be putting up 30, 40, 50 mm. points a game. And they're putting up what? What? 16. 16 points against Tulsa. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. You know, Tulsa's like the the rejects. You know, so. <laughs> I'll what, it, it it is what it is. Uh, you can forget about Oklahoma State doing anything. And Chuba Hubbard. I mean, he he'll get a job at the NFL, but he certainly ain't winning the Heisman. Oh wow. Okay, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, and I mean, it's not like SEC teams play. You know bad teams close it's not like tennessee lost to georgia southern last year so uh you know we'll uh, we'll we'll keep on moving louisiana overcome a 14 point deficit in the fourth quarter to beat georgia state in overtime that was quite an entertaining one 34 31 nc state beat wake forest in a good one 45 42 smu absolutely hammer north texas 65 to 35 and they put up over 700 yards of offense in the process uh, so if you like scoring, if you like offense, go back and re-watch that one. Uh, that puts Will's bold prediction absolutely tits up because he said North Te- Texas were going to win that one. He also said App State were going to go undefeated for the year. So Will's had a bad week all round. Well, and, uh, Oklahoma State also, I think they lost their quarterback, Spencer Sanders, in the first quarter. So, uh, you know, and he looked he looked bad to begin with anyway. But, um <laughs> Uh, uh, Yeah, it wasn't a good week for Oklahoma State, that's for sure. (laughs) Not at all. Navy beat Tulane at the gun on a field goal. Clemson beat Citadel, but whatever. Uh, Notre Dame get things rolling offensively against USF. Uh, I will quickly touch on Notre Dame because uh, not that we see a lot of Notre Dame uh, SEC matchups throughout the year, but are they a legitimate contender this year? Oh, well, gosh, I mean, beating beating USF 52-0 is pretty good. Uh, <laughs> but you gotta, you got to look. I mean, Brian Kelly is a fantastic coach. Uh, Notre Dame has always had the, um, the detriment of not being in a conference. So yep. with the, the things being mixed up this year, we'll see how we go. I mean, uh, um, with the coronavirus pandemic, it might be a chance for – when do they play Clemson? Is that is that happening anytime soon? Do we, do we have that on the schedule? They, they don't get Clemson, or do they? I can't even remember now. Notre Dame schedule. Um, they play Clemson on the 11th. There you go. No, no, no. On the, 8th, on the 8th of November, they play Clemson. 8th of November. Yeah, and that's um, a home game. I think that's in South Bend as well. Yeah. From so, the... so that's their game. Yeah. I mean... The rest of them, Pitt, they're playing Florida State. They're playing Georgia Tech. Louisville got trounced, Wake Forest. They've, they've got a pretty much a cakewalk up until that one game. So if they're going to yeah. do something, they're going to have to beat the team that everybody's trying to beat. So that'll that's going to be their championship game. You look at the 8th of November, put it in your calendar, or would be the 9th for us. Yep. All right, let's move on to some Aussies in action. We will touch on these boys because that's what got us uh, inspired to do this podcast in the first place. So uh, I did mention Alex Hale earlier, but he had three field goals for Oklahoma State, 27, 29, and 40 yards, which was good. Xavier Sabatosha at State 
had to punt way too much. He had six for 41 and a half and two down inside the 20. Lucas Dean at UTSA, uh, UTSA who uh, got our player of the week last week. He had another four punts for 42 yards per attempt. Lou Headley at Miami had another good game with three at 42.3. But our best punter for the week and our player for the week was John Haggerty at Western Kentucky. Unfortunately, in a loss to Liberty, but he had five punts with an average of 47.8 yards per punt. Uh, you don't realize the value of punters, Drew, until you don't have one. Yeah, I mean, there is a great market for Australian players who can actually really kick a ball. Um, the drop, the, what do you guys call it? The uh, barrel? Oh, yeah. Torque, <laughs> Torque. The yeah. Torque. Anybody who can do that with accuracy which, I mean, kicking a, an AFL ball is a little bit different with the torque yeah. than it is kicking a, kicking an American football. But um, if any of you guys know how to do it well, there's a lot of money be, to be made over there for sure. Um, uh, Americans don't really um, grow up kicking uh, footballs unless they don't like getting hit. So um, most people don't really know how to kick a football very well. So that is a great market for Australian players, and that's good that you guys focus on it. One of the guys that I, I'm sure you've probably already talked about is Matt Leo, yeah, um, the Aussie player who uh, was has just been a fantastic story. He the guy didn't even play in Adelaide, no. and because he was such a great athlete, you know, he was um, discovered and, and went on the NFL's international pathway program through Ohio State University, and. Um, and then I must say, since I'm, I haven't never been on your podcast, uh, Dominic Panazzolo, who was yeah. at Texas Tech uh, last year and has graduated, it's also a great way for someone who lives over here who may be young that wants to go experience America and also get an education. Because if you can get a scholarship to go to one of these schools, they're going to pay for you to stay there. They're going to pay for your food. They're going to pay for your books. They're going to pay for all for you, basically your whole experience except for you know buying your beers after you get your fake ID or whatever. And, uh, um it's a it's a it's a great place uh, when it's not riddled with COVID for yeah. Australians to go to go to go play in. So I I must say if you don't feel like playing footy and you want to give your shot at uh, a dream um, career, give it a go, man. It's worth it. Yeah, and I, I wish we'd known it earlier. Obviously, we would have had all the recruiting <laughs> schools coming at us. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's great. Yeah, um, we we still dream. You guys, neither of you guys were punters on your own local team, were you? Nah, Ever? no, nah. I didn't think. I so. mean, I did. I did it a little bit. I remember. Oh, I think I booked like a six-yard punt uh, into the wind. I was nervous before the drop <laughs> even happened. I, I may have shinned it. It wasn't pretty. Um, but it's interesting you yeah. talk about how your you, kind of the culture influences the sort of sports you play. It's you know every man and his dog in America can throw a spiral. Whereas that's yeah, not something that's right. we can do. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, uh, um, every everybody knows how to pronate. Everybody knows how to, you know, pull pull your left elbow down to your hip and twist. And <laughs> yeah. every, everybody knows yeah. about pointing pointing your pointing your left foot at the target. And you know, everybody knows it. I mean, my mom my mom can throw a spiral. So <laughs> like, uh, it's just it's as 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 your mom probably can kick a footy. Um, you know, my mom could throw a, a, a 15 yard deep out. So, yeah. 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 I remember you saying one time that there's like fat guys living in like cheap rental properties in Alabama that, or, you know, yeah. wherever, somewhere, Georgia, whatever, Texas that can throw a football like 80 yards. No worries. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, as, as you know, the, um, the rosters in the NFL have somewhere around 50-something players, and you got 32 teams, so that's basically 1,500-some-odd people that get a job as being a professional athlete in the mm -hmm. NFL. And if you're not good – that's one of the things I do like about living here in Australia with footy. Like, if you're not good enough to make it in the AFL, you can at least, like, go try Sandful or the Waffle or the VFL. And if you're mm -hmm. not good enough to do that, you can at least, go, like, go play it. Ross Trevor Old Collegians or, yeah. you know, wherever Will plays. And, and, and some of these clubs will pay you a couple hundred bucks to, to, to turn up on a Thursday and on Saturday yeah. to play some footy. So in, in America, if you're not good enough coming out of high school to get a college scholarship, you, you're, you don't play football anymore. And, yeah. if, and, and, when, and when you finish playing college football, if you're not good enough to get a, a gig, say, in the, 
uh, in the NFL or even the Arena League that was going on or the XFL, which is now folded and being picked back up again, if you didn't get one of those jobs, then your career or your life as a football player is over. Like, you don't get to take another snap. So when I moved here uh, in 2010 and I saw that you could actually just turn up and put a helmet on and play football again, I couldn't believe it. It was like one of the coolest thing, things ever just to be able to, you know, I mean, you had to pay money to do it, but you paid money to go smack dudes around. And, you know, uh, there are a lot of guys in America who would probably, if they knew uh, the capability was there, would come over here and play uh, local pickup as, you know, like, like a gridiron South Australia or whatever mm. state you're in, in in Australia. There's a lot of guys who would love to come over here and play football because um, most of us dreamt of it as kids and still follow our teams, um, you know, religiously. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, where's the role for like a, like slightly overweight, slow white guy though? Like it, like if, if we bring well, all these American dudes over, I'm doing a lot of sitting on the bench. Yeah. So slightly overweight white guy from Alabama who used to play at like Gardendale high school is going to get the job over slightly overweight guy who used to play footy at <laughs> Sacred Heart. You know what exactly. I mean? There's, he, he already knows there's, uh, as you know, as you know, and I, I have some friends who play uh, at the AFL level and we've talked about, uh, actually I, I sat down and talked to, to Mark Bickley a little bit about uh, schematics mm-hmm. of coaching and footy. And um, like, because I, I myself, uh, as you know, was a coach um, yeah. until my baby yeah. was born. But um, we, we, Bickley and I talked about the, how you coach in footy and the way that you coach in footy is completely different to how you coach in, in NFL, because in NFL, there are so many little intricate movements and leverages and angles and, and speeds that uh, every position requires. I mean, there are 22 different positions in NFL and the guy who plays a center or a right guard could never do the things that a left cornerback or a strong safety would do, you know? So, um, there, just as there are, um, uh, a lot of different roles in footy, um, there are a lot of different roles in gridiron, but there's also the addition of learning those small little techniques that come into each one of those positions. Um, which is one of the reasons why I love football so much. Football, uh, gridiron, should I say? Gridiron is, um, to me, is is human chess uh, with yeah. vi- with violence integrated into it. You know? So it's, <laughs> it's not really like um, dodgeball where you're just kind of running around and trying not to get hit or whatever. It's, mm. it's, it's more of a, a, a well, no, I'm not going to say war, but a, uh, a strategic placement of players to. Uh, to take over a defense. Yeah, I mean it's like Bobby Fischer meets cage fighting. Like that's what <laughs> yeah, we're going for. Yeah, here. yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> All right, um, that pretty much brings us to the end of our regular segment. So before we get in and, and deep dive on the SEC, what else have you? I know you've got your fingers on the pulse of a whole bunch of different stuff. I know you've got um, some other media things that you're doing as well, and and you, of course you've got your business stuff. So if if you want to take a couple of minutes and and you know just spruik your kind of things that you're doing, if you've, the air's all yours. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, so I do the uh, NFL correspondence for uh, 1395 5AA in, uh, in Adelaide. And, uh, you know, I just I get on there and I, I, I just talk about American football to people who I know probably don't know a lot about football. So I try to dumb it down a lot, make it a little <laughs> bit interesting and give them some games that I know are on when, uh, when we're awake here because most people are not going to wake up at 2.30 to watch Jacksonville versus uh the new york jets you know i mean it's just not something that's going to happen but um i i uh when i when i finished playing uh football i had a a pretty bad right foot injury Mm. i've got like a plate and seven screws and two staples and my foot's terrible or whatever but i stopped playing uh football because i knew i wasn't going to play in the nfl and i started playing music and i met my wife in uh Knoxville, Tennessee, where the University of Tennessee is. I met my wife there, who is from Adelaide. So I moved here uh, and quickly got into coaching and um, play uh, coaching the junior level and playing the senior level at South City Chiefs in 
Marion in Adelaide in South Australia. And, uh, you know, it really um, fired me up in, into teaching people who have no, who had no idea about the game, just very basic, uh, very basic movements in football. And um, uh, then I started coaching the juniors in the uh, national tournament, um, in South Australia in the national tournament, which was very fun. And, had a couple of guys go from playing on our team to the United States and they played in the U S and got some good experience there. And, um, then I uh, started coaching the seniors and we, uh, played in a, played in a grand final. Uh, and then I coached the, um, senior state team here, uh, with, uh, a, a team that had was comprised of maybe, uh, 60% of the the league because you know there are some teams who don't like to participate in state uh, competitions anyway I digress but um, <laughs> and then I had a boy so I so I got uh, I'm spending my time coaching my kid now so I, I'm I'm teaching him about drop punts and I'm teaching him about tackling and I'm teaching him about hitting the ball off the tee and he's hitting tennis balls and <laughs> so that's so so I'm his coach now so he's that's that's my that's my little player I, I've uh, Coaching football over here is rewarding uh, when you're winning, and when you're losing, you don't get paid. So basically, there is <laughs> not much reward unless you're winning, and, and we, we weren't winning towards the end, so I thought that it was my time to bow out and let somebody else give it a go. Yeah. Um, and and so I, I have also, since I've been living here, been doing barbecue, and I do that for uh, um for myself now and I started the curious squires uh, barbecue mm -hmm. movement that happened a long time ago. So we were, they were the first uh, restaurant uh, brick and mortar restaurant to do barbecue in um, South Australia. And uh, now uh, if you just go on Facebook, it's drew soul food. I, I do um, catering and uh, home deliveries and stuff like that. And there's a menu on there. Uh, and I do the beer barbecue festival every year. So uh, as football, it goes hand in hand with Alabama. So does barbecue. So those are the things that I do. Uh, and when then we, you know, when COVID hit, um, being a music, ex musician and chef, I lost both my jobs. So um, I was fortunate that I had also a background where when I went to, when I went to university, they said, you know, you need to make sure that you have a backup plan because you're not going to play in the NFL. And so I, I got my degree and now I'm finishing my master's in education. So I'm going to go back to um, teaching um, little kids, you know, how to be good citizens in our society. And in the meanwhile, trying to get my uh, son to be a good one as well. So that's, that's, that's where I'm at. So I'm, I'm really uh, appreciative of this uh, time to talk about football with you. And uh, I'm glad that you guys have a really good love for it. I've co I coached you and I coached Will in football. Yeah. And uh, I think we actually may have even taken some snaps together. So yes, we did. Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, so it's nice. Nice to talk to you, man. Yeah. Oh, always a pleasure. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got your fingers in a lot of pies. Actually, speaking of pies, Drew Soul Food, you need to get on that mac and cheese. I'm not even joking. Mac and cheese <laughs> yeah, and the good. sweet potato pie. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, chocolate cream pie is really good. Sweet potato casserole is probably one of my best things. I, I make that like every Thanksgiving. Uh, I, 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 make, I make sure to make that. It's got like toasted pe uh, pecans on oh, it. Oh, that, really that is good gear. You need it. Yeah, man. Yeah, that, there's, a, uh, there's a reason why there's a lot of obese people in the south. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Good eating. Okay, let's before we you know dive too far down into the food. Although I do like that. So um, if you ever want to come and talk barbecue, I'm always I'm always interested in listening. Um, and the beer and barbecue show. So I'm going to go to that. I think. I mean, I've got myself into home brewing, so I'm down that wormhole. Uh, so I'll definitely be there to to have a look at all the. Uh, libation options that are floating around in the beer world now so i'll probably see you there as well yeah i think um the beer and barbecue festival is probably one of the best things to do during the year especially for people that are around our age and like the things that that we do i mean uh, there are competitions there are all of the local craft beer people around there's heaps of um australian and uh south african and um american barbecues to be had there's barbecue competitions there's hot dog eating contests there's um a dad bod comp competition <laughs> oh, and, and, and and actually this year uh it's in december so every other year it's been in july but with covid it got postponed so it's actually going to be really nice out 
rather than it being rainy and cold like it usually has been. So yeah. this one's going to be this one's going to be a really good one to come along to see. I've 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 cooked barbecue at every one of these festivals, so uh, it's just a just another great weekend for us, and it's good to, good to get together and see other people doing barbecue. For sure. All right, let's talk some SEC football now. So uh, we've spoken a bit about you growing up in, in Alabama, but let's narrow in, I suppose, on the Crimson Tide for the year. So what are you expecting from them? Obviously, the the head storylines come around from, you know, losing, not losing, but, you know, Tua not being there and, and his graduation to how much of a, a difference maker he was at the quarterback spot, especially considering Alabama has won national championships in spite of their quarterback play not necessarily because of it and now you're back to mac jones who's probably a good one but are we obviously expecting another national championship run here yeah you're totally right about the quarterback thing i mean alabama has not been a uh, a team that has had a heisman hopeful quarterback uh in a long time jalen hurts was a, a a star for us and then when Tua came along i mean for him to do what he did at that university. He's the best quarterback to ever play there. Uh, he's gone, but the offense should still be among the nation's best. I mean, it doesn't really matter who plays at quarterback. Mac Jones, he passed with 327 yards and three touchdowns in the bowl win against Michigan last yeah. year. Um, uh, but then we also, in case you don't know, we got the best quarterback in the country coming out of high school, um, uh, five, five-star five prospect Bryce Young um, out of California. I mean, that guy – He's he's 5'11", 183-pound dual-threat quarterback from L.A., and he was the All-American Bowl Player of the Year. He was a Gatorade Player of the Year in California. He was the High School Quarterback of the Year. He's the Maxwell Offensive Player of the Year. I mean, so if if, uh, Mac Jones has any kind of mess-up, we will quickly see Bryce Jones (laughs) slot in there. Um, But the thing about it is, you know, Alabama was supposed to be keying up this week to play Georgia uh, in what was going to be regarded as the most important game of the college football season. And Bama would have already played Southern California, which got canceled. And um, that would have been one of the most interesting matchups of blue blood programs that we had ever seen for, for an opening season. And then, you know, COVID hit and just threw everything out the window. But if you look at the preseason rankings for the SEC, you got 60% of the SEC uh, taking up the top 10 teams in the country, right? So, uh, there's 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 only what what does that make four there's four teams in the yeah. in the top yeah. ten in the country that aren't in the SEC so SEC has been dominant for a long time they still are now Clemson is one of the teams that probably should be in the SEC but they're not but that's just a, you know <laughs> Dabo is a Dabo Sweeney the head coach of Clemson obviously as you know played an Alabama national championship team oh, in 1992 this is... so there are there are ties back to Alabama all over the place but. Um, after seeing some key losses, uh, Alabama had a total of 11 players selected to the um, 2020 preseason coaches, all South- Southeastern Conference teams. So 11 of the players on the 22 squad are from Alabama. So it's, um, we, as we normally do, because our recruiting classes are so good, we lose players, but then they're just already replaced by guys who are either so good as a freshman or sophomore naturally that they take the position away from somebody who was really good, but then was coached up in the program and understands what they're supposed to do. So two is gone. Um, the offense will be fine. Uh, on defense, linebacker Dylan Moses returns after missing last season with an ACL. Dylan Moses will be a first-round draft pick. He is a fantastic linebacker, uh, really hunts the ball. Um, Alabama lost four key players in the first round to the, to the draft last year. Uh, uh, Tua went to the Dolphins. Uh, Jedrick Wills went to the Browns. Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy are both already making uh, waves at the, Bron- at the Raiders and the Broncos. So uh, there's no reason um, for the Crimson Tide, who finished, uh, what, second in scoring last year in offense, to hit the reset button. They're fine. Quarterback Mac Jones started four games in 2019. He threw 14 touchdowns, only threw three interceptions. Uh, he's a veteran. He understands what he needs to do to do his job, kind of like uh, along the line with um, AJ McCarron and and um, all all the Greg other guys. McElroy. Who, Greg McElroy, Greg McElroy, all all the other good white quarterbacks that we've had for a long time. <laughs> uh, those guys just stand back there and hand the ball off to, to people like <laughs> to like Najee Harris, who he'll also be a first round draft pick when he goes in the NFL. He, He's the biggest name in, in our backfield. He had 1,200 yards and 20 touchdowns last year. 
uh, and um, uh, Ruggs and GD are gone in, in the wide out position. But Devontae Smith was yeah. probably probably better than both of them yep. uh, last year uh, numerically. I mean, he had uh, like 14 touchdowns, uh, 1,300 yards, and um, though Smith will likely take over as the number one receiver, Jalen Waddle is the guy that you got to listen to because I think that Jalen Waddle is probably going to be in the Heisman running. Uh, he is he is an amazing wide receiver. I think that he's better than Jerry Judy. Whoa. He's, he's not as fast as Ruggs is, obviously. Uh, but him and him and Devontae Smith on the wide outs with Najee Harris running the ball in the middle. I mean, what are you going to do? Our, our defense, uh, we've got Patrick Sertan. He's probably one of the most experienced players returning in our secondary. Uh, but we just kind of reload out there. We um, – we got Trayvon Diggs, Xavier McKinney. Uh, they they've gone off to the NFL, so Sertan is probably going to have a lot more responsibility this year. Uh, but you know the defense is always good at Alabama. It's just um, a matter of whether or not they show up on the day when it comes. At the end, we'll we'll be playing Auburn. Auburn's always tough. We'll be playing LSU, yeah. who won the national championship last year. Obviously, we play LSU every year, and then yeah. comes the bowl games. And uh, so Alabama always being a very highly ranked team, they still have to beat really good teams like LSU, Auburn, and then they'll have to beat Clemson if they get to the, the big dance. So. I mean, I know I invited this question by asking you to talk about Alabama football, but the dog and pony show about how good bloody Alabama <laughs> Crimson Tide are just, that was a relentless little four-minute spill. Look, anyway. look, there's not a lot of Alabama fans in Adelaide or South <laughs> Australia they're very hated, and uh, I, myself being an Alabama fan and a Patriots fan, most people don't like my team. So any chance <laughs> that I get to talk nicely about them, I will take the advantage. <laughs> All right. Well, let's – I mean, there's not much more we can say, I don't think, about Alabama at this stage. But there, are there any other teams in the SEC that you like the, like the look of? Are Georgia going to be okay? Are Florida going to be okay? I think LSU have to take a step backwards. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, or is there a surprise packet? Are Tennessee going to be okay? Or um, <laughs> another school that we haven't mentioned yet? Like, what are you expecting from some of the other teams in the SEC? Yeah, I mean, you said it like LSU. There's no way that LSU can back up what they did, which is one of the best seasons in the history of college football, if not the the best. So, um, you know, Auburn's got a chance to go nine and one, but they could also go six and four. I mean, uh, um, Gus Malzahn's offense is like that. I mean, sometimes yeah. they'll score a lot of points, and then sometimes they'll just put up a big goose egg. So, uh, I think that Florida could really challenge Georgia for the East, um, but. Uh, you know, it's going to be it's going to be when Georgia plays Florida, that's going to decide. I think who's going to win the East. Kentucky's got no shot. LSU, they'll be all right. Uh, Mississippi State's got no shot. Ole Miss has got Lane Kiffin, which is you know the one of the best things is going to be when uh, Mississippi State, who has Mike Leach. <laughs> yeah. Do you know Do you know the crazy pirate coach? Yeah, Mike yeah. Leach? His press okay. conferences are elite. Yes. So he he and 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 Lane Kiffin are probably two of the most interesting coaches in the NCAA. So when the Egg Bowl comes around, when an old Miss plays Mississippi State, there is going to be such good press conference snippets of these two coaches because Mike Leach will go on some crazy tangents. And Lane Kiffin, <laughs> if you don't, if you want to trash talk with somebody, don't pick Lane Kiffin because he is really good at it and he's a fantastic coach. So so Mississippi State Ole Miss will be a fun game to watch, but there's, there's, certain, there's certainly not going to be uh, – uh, contending for the SEC, Tennessee's got no shot. South Carolina's got no shot. Texas A&M's usually pretty okay, but um, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens with Kellen Mond. He's a he's a he's a pretty good, experienced quarterback, but I I don't have a lot of faith in Jimbo Fisher now. I think he's made too much money. He doesn't really care as much anymore. <laughs> and and there's no point in really even talking about Vanderbilt. You know, yeah, they, poor they, they got they, they got a pretty school in Nashville. And there's some good music to go listen to after they get beat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I agree with most of that. I know Will's big on A&M this year, but I, I just don't think I don't trust Kellen Mond. And, and I, like you said, those two coaches in the state of Mississippi, I think is uh, interesting is the word you used. I think that's a bit of an understatement. Ho- I'm expecting fireworks more so off the field than on the field, to be honest, from those two coaches. So uh, I, I look forward to both of those schools uh, bouncing back and having big years. 
Well, that kind of brings us, we're running low on time here now, so that does have to bring us to the end, Drew. Um, In terms of college football down under, make sure you do hit us up on Twitter and on Instagram at CFB down under. We're on Facebook as well. Make sure you tell your friends about us, subscribe to the podcast, Um, hit us up on Sunday mornings as well, have a chat to us. Uh, We can find you a stream, we can have a chat about whoever you want to talk about. If you're big on, you know, the Charlotte whoever's or the Texas Bobcats or, you know, you you just want to talk, um, you know, Campbell fighting camels football. We can do that as well. So uh, make sure you do hit us up. Um, And I will say a big, big thank you for you tonight, Drew. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. So I hope we can do this again. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. You know, I like talking football. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, for sure. We, We do not see enough of each other. So, Uh, On behalf of that guy over there, I've got a nice little outro for you. I think you'll like this one, mate. Make you feel more like you're at home. On behalf of Drew Aiken, my name's Aaron Kemp, and we will see you next time. Mm